When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. We're doing something a little different with this show, um, and hopefully this will lead to more episodes similar to this. We're doing a little side project, me and my own personal Jay-Z, Jordan Federati from Blink of the Star. We're going to discuss different aspects of music, and tonight, on the very first episode of this side project, we're going to discuss the shifting mood of David Lee Roth era Van Halen. And Jordan, I know this is uh, something that's near and dear to your heart, so let's let's jump right into it. Sure. I mean, I was just sort of, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, uh, to fans of this era of Van Halen, the albums have, be, you know, have grown distinct personalities that transcend the member membership of the band, and and uh, you know, they just sort of have taken on. They're, they're, each of them is if you're a fan, so different from the other. Yeah. And, um, and each has a prevailing mood, I feel, somehow. I would agree. I would definitely agree. And uh, let's, if you uh, had suggested that we go through album by album, since there's only six, really, if you don't count uh, a different kind of truth, which... I know, and, and I didn't even think about that in today, uh, until today, and I thought, well, maybe... Uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about that. So let's jump in with Van Halen 1. So chapter one is called Auto Perfection. They were just born perfect on this first album. Um, they had been playing in the clubs in Hollywood for years. And, uh, you know, they probably had a catalog of over 30 original songs. I don't know the exact number, but... There were a lot. Uh, they had a lot to pick from, right? Yeah. And Ted Templeman, Big Shot, Doobie's producer, comes in and, you know... Basically, uh, on your first album, the band is relatively powerless, and I'm sure Ted was like picking songs, basically. Yeah, you know. Yeah, cherry I'm picking sure the best. Largely his decision, um, and so it uh, the song selection, you know, it's perfect, basically, and sonically, it's it feels so unified, so disciplined. Um, and it has, you know, some very famous features like, you know, the, the guitar, 
uh, dry panned to one side of the stereo spectrum and then the big uh, reverb on the other side, you know, this creating, you know, this huge sound when there's only just one rhythm guitar happening at times. Although there are many, there are more overdubs on the first album than, uh, guitar overdubs on the first album than the other ones, uh, than any of the other albums, I think. Hmm. Maybe Diver Down, there's a bit more, but um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of doubling up on, um, on Van Halen 1. And it, anyway, it just sounds really unified. What was your first um, experience with it? Like, where did, how did you first encounter it? You know, I kind of, I went through Van Halen in a weird, uh, kind of a weird, weird way. My uh, very first Van Halen album was actually Van- 1984. I was at a, a, a version of Walmart in, in uh, New Jersey. And my mom's like, oh, go buy an album. I'm going to, I'll let you get a, a tape as a cassette. And um, so I came out with Quiet Riot's Metal Health. And she looks at it and she's like, no. How, she's like, how about this? And she pulls out 1984 because I guess she was familiar with the song Jump. And I'm like, all right, you got you got like the man in the iron mask or an, or an angel with a pack of cigs. I'm like, all right. Uh, it comes off more like an infant yeah. smoking cigarette. So it's so, like your mom thought that was better. more okay. <laughs> it was yeah. more appropriate for like. <laughs> then you know, what, what was mental health? It was just a dude in a hockey mask. Didn't it look like Hannibal Lecter or something? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of like um, a man in the iron mask, Silence of the Lambs. You know stuff like that, but I but guess, it was years before Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. So uh, yeah. it, it was kind of it's it kind of funny that, that she picked that one. But um, I'm I'm assuming she had heard Jump on the radio or something like that. So I I, I kind of like that's this song. So I said okay, fine. So that was my first experience with Van Halen, and then I went back and started getting their back catalog. Right. And uh, I remember getting the cassette and taking my little boom box up to uh, my sister had a little uh, play set. Are we still talking about 1984? Because we're on the first album. No, no, we're going back. We're going back to the first album. So, so I liked, I liked 84, 1984 so much that I went back and started to collect their, their back catalog, which they're one of the first bands that I did that with. Okay. Uh, Van Halen and Led Zeppelin. Although Led Zeppelin was nothing but back catalog at that time. Anyway, I digress. So my, my sister had a swing set up on the corner of our property, and uh, it was one of the only places I could go and listen to something and, and just be alone. So I figured, all right, I'll grab my boom box, my cassette tape of Van Halen 1 and go up there. And I just sat there on a swing, just blown away by it because I had never heard anything. And I'd heard 1984, but 1984 is a lot more polished than, than Van Halen 1 in, you know, they had had more, more uh, experience in the studio. I heard Eruption, and it was just mind-blowing. I mean, Running With The Devil was a great opener, but Eruption, I'd never really heard anything like that before. So that kept me going. And songs like Atomic Punk with that weird uh, scratching of the, uh, of the strings yeah. on the guitar to, to, to the intro. With and the then phaser pedal happening, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, going into something so just different as ice cream man it was i was really <laughs> amazed by the range that they had on it mm-hmm. so when when was the first time you heard the album so i was um you know i, I grew up in a in a small town and um sometimes we'd go see our cousins in ottawa which is the big city and uh uh one of my cousins lived in uh 
in sort of a high rise in an okay neighborhood. And um, I used to love going there because it seemed really um, like, you know, they were up on like the 16th floor or something. So at night you could see the entire skyline of the city, which is a pretty big deal to a country kid. Right. Yeah. Um, So, and uh, at the time when I went, I think I was about nine years old or so or eight, maybe, maybe younger. Um, I found like his kid, uh, he would, he was a teenager, so he would be gone and I would get to hang out in his room. (laughs) You know, it was like red curtains and, um, and so he had all these like, you know, Kiss Alive albums. So I opened that up and was like, whoa, who are these Fawcett posters on the wall? Pretty much. Yeah. And football, uh, football dudes. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but there was a cassette of Van Halen one. So I put it on the little boom box and, so my first memory is like looking out at the night skyline of like, you know, from his bedroom. Oh, wow. In total darkness in this room. And there was something about that that went with the sound of Van Halen, particularly the, the, you know, the deep reverb, you know? Yeah. And looking at the skyline and, and, and just sort of the visual and the sonic elements merging. Well, seeing um, that. Seeing so that- it was a really sort of impactful first listen but this was before i really kind of knew who they or anyone was like i was just getting into i was like eight just almost knowing who the eurythmics were you know okay that was next year yeah (laughs) i was still in like beatles elvis phase you know okay um but i do remember listening to the whole thing and just like the whole the mood of it was like very very strong I don't know if I liked or disliked. I think I liked. Um, but then when I was, you know, I was like you. I got 1984 was the big album that came out, and I bought it and loved it. And then went backwards through the albums. But I think Van Halen 1 was the second one I encountered. Yeah. Um, at, that, at that later stage in my life, like 11, 12, when you're like, you know, you know the names of the band members. Yeah. Stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... I loved it then. Feel Your Love Tonight was kind of my favorite. It was the easiest to get into for me. It was like real rock and roll. Okay. And Ice Cream Man was easy because I, I loved, you know, Elvis and bluesy rockabilly stuff. But it was the chorus of Running with the Devil that just, I couldn't get my head around. It was so beautiful but weird that these beautiful angelic vocals will be playing over this fairly demonic riff that was kind of like black sabbath or something yeah yeah you know and and, and you had there David was a guy the on the crazy internet that sort of yeah and there, there was a guy i saw on the internet this really smart guy and he breaks down songs and albums and stuff and he said that there's like a brief second of dissonance in that chorus where there the vocals and the guitar for a brief second create a harmonic dissonance and i'd never you know it's so fast it happens so quickly that um, but he'd sort of like parsed it and figured that out. But um, oh. I think that's kind of the moment of the record in a way. It's like, it's really, I love Little Dreamer. That's the song I remember the most from that first experience of like looking out the city. Oh, little, okay. Little Dreamer playing. I can imagine, like, you know, I can, yeah. I can imagine you looking out at a, at a city skyline and hearing Running with the Devil. Because to me, that opening bass and and, and just mm. seeing there's the even scene. reverb on the intro bass there. yeah and just yeah. that's i mean to me that sounds like it 
it's a song that was written in a city. For yes, a city. exactly. That is definitely city music. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's, and I lived, I, I was in, lived in New Jersey at the time, and it, but in a, in, in a very rural section. So I was, you know, my skyline was trees too. So, you know, it, yeah. But I was, funny. I was only an hour out of New York and an hour out of Philly. So uh-huh. I could kind of picture it. it. It made me feel like I was in one of those places, almost like, almost yeah. dirty. Yeah, absolutely. But it was, it was, it was, uh, I don't know, it wasn't, the record was several years old at the time, but it was, it, it sounded a lot different than anything else I was listening to, even like, you know, even 1984, but yeah, because, because at the time I was listening to Shredders like Satriani and Vi and on, and this was more built around the song, but it had the qualities of Satch and Vi's stuff. But there was more of song structure to and vocals. I mean, you know, those guys didn't do a whole lot of vocals at the time. So and the guitar solos are quite short. Yeah. But they're amazing. They're heroic, but they're <laughs> short. And then the you know, and then either the breakdown or the neck or the third verse or a chorus comes in, you know, it's like they're just a quick part of most of the songs. He doesn't except for the the later outros. He starts then he starts that's where they give Eddie a minute and a half to really blow <laughs> yeah <laughs> well know, i was i was um i had read the the book that uh noel monk wrote about a, a year or so ago running with the devil and he was talking about how you know they'd been playing for years and years together so you know they, they were tight with their own stuff but they knew like 300 cover songs oh yeah at that point yeah so yeah. they you know it's i'm Kind of surprised that there's only what one cover on that album. Uh, what you really got me, and right. uh, you know they they, they kind of made that their own, and that's that album is is that's one of the more, I guess better known songs on the album. But I was surprised that uh, looking at some of their later albums, which we'll get into, that that there's only one cover on that whole album. So yeah, um, there's a. Funny story about, um, you know, they, I think they put out the You Really Got Me single either weeks or a month or something before the album came out. Yes. And yeah, so they, they had like test pressings and Eddie was going around town showing all his buds <laughs> and he's all proud. And apparently, now I think it's this band, the guy from Angel heard it and he was like, oh my God this is going to be huge. And apparently they <laughs> tried to rush release their own cover of you really got me, but they, well, I guess Warner brothers heard about it and pumped it back into overdrive and like got it out quick. Oh geez. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. I knew that, that from reading Noel's book, that that single had gone out way in advance of the album, but I didn't know right. that. Was, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, so you yeah, want- someone fact check me if it's not Angel, but I, I, I remember that story. So let's let's talk about Van Halen too. Yes. Oh, 
So this is the, this one I've uh, chaptered um, Sloppy Joe and a Coke. <laughs> All right. This one sounds like Van Halen in the rehearsal space after their big, you know, successful tour of the first album. They opened for Black Sabbath, and I think they did some theater, started doing theater, small theater th- shows of their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first album was a hit. So they were on their way. They had, um, the future was theirs. So they get back to Los Angeles and, you know, they have a bunch of songs left over, but they don't have time to write a whole bunch of new stuff. So exactly, exactly. I think most of these are left over. I think you're right. And it definitely sounds like they're the leftovers to me. Dance the Night Away, I think they wrote to order, like for a single. Yeah. Um, Yeah. but most of these, I think, were already being played in the clubs. Most of them, like, uh, not Spanish Fly, maybe. Probably. Um, yes. Sloppy Joe and a Coke. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like post tour. They're like back at their rehearsal space, which was in Dave's dad's basement, by the way. How cool! He had a big mansion in Pasadena. Yeah, that's yeah. The, David did come from money. That is true. Yeah, yeah. So that was their pad. And it, if you look at old pictures, it's like, wow, they got some space down there. It looks really nice. I bet you there's. Uh, Lots I did of slits in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> I did find out something interesting though. Um, I didn't realize that David Lee Roth's uncle owned the Cafe Wa in New York. Yeah, uh, was it Uncle Manny or something? Uh, or yeah, Uncle Manny. Name? Yes. Yeah, that's and uh, that's where they did their comeback club show. Yeah, and I've got twenty twelve. Uh, I think I've got <laughs> a, a bootleg of Jimi Hendrix and uh, Jim Morrison playing at the Cafe Wa. Oh, uh, I wo- woke up this morning and found myself dead. Yes, is that what it's called? It, yeah, <laughs> it is. Atrocious. I love that title. <laughs> yeah, so it's a sloppier record. It's like that, you know, the precision, even just in the recording. But to me, this is like what Van Halen actually sounds like. Okay, you know, this is this is when you, you get invited over to the rehearsal space and they're just playing for their friends. Yeah, this is kind of what they sound like. You know. I think um, Eddie's more unhinged here, and he's getting – he's starting to get – I don't know what other word to use, but he's starting to get weirder yeah. <laughs> with, his, with his craft and with you know his solos are, and, and just his approach is getting um, more tangential, more exploratory, a bit rougher. And, you know, um, um, people say that um, on that tour, the Van Halen 2 tour, is, is that's the tour where the improvisations were the best that they had ever done. They were really kind of oh. extending parts more than they did later on. They, okay. they tightened it back up to like a, you know, more of a rock and roll extravaganza with discipline. But um, um, I haven't heard a lot of tapes from it, but that's just stuff I've read on the Internet. Um, is that those, this tour was where they, he and Alex really let loose, you know? Yeah. And I haven't heard a whole lot of live stuff or early live shows from Van Halen, just a, a few, but to me, I, I remember getting this album and being disappointed in it just because one was, was so good and, and, you know, yeah. having a history with it in 1984, I remember listening to it and, and, uh, you know, they had, a, they had a, one or two uh, covers on it. Uh, one, the you know good, but the song that stood out to me was "Beautiful Girls." Um, right. 
And that was, you know, that was a lighter tune that it's, it, they sound, they still sound like a party band and, you know, they, they sounded absolutely. And that's what they, you know, that's what they started off as playing in people's backyards. And the first two albums, they just, it seems like Dave's in his element. I mean, cause that's what Dave wants to do. He just wants to be the, 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 the front man for a party band. And yeah. the, the funny thing is I was listening to all the albums today, just, just to kind of bone up on everything for this. And I noticed something and I, it, it struck me that if you listen to the solo for the song bottoms up, it's the, the tone on the guitar sounds similar to tones I, I've heard on other period albums. And it, Maybe as a producer, you can explain how or why this happens or, or if this is something they're going for. But it almost sounds like the amp and the mic are in two different rooms. There's this like, hollowness to the, oh, to the guitar well, solo. I would have to listen to it uh, once. I wish I could. But um, that very well may, may be the case. They could have used an ambient miking technique on the solo. <laughs> to give it some sort of spatial depth in the mix where they would back the, you know, they may have a mic right on the amp, but they would have a second mic backed off to capture the room, sound of okay. the room. Okay. Uh, it could be that. It could be a reverb effect from a box. Um, but I'll right. listen to it and I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I love the riff on DOA. It's just, what? <laughs> yes. Mind bender. Like, whew, it's so fun to play too, that riff. Oh, if you see, have a great amp. Yeah. I have an old Plexi, uh, like a 1968 Marshall. Like, Oh, man. Oh, when you play uh, DOA through that amp, it's so fun. You know, and, <laughs> and that's something I've noticed with, with these two albums is that the songs, the, the structure seems to be pretty simple. And I never really realized it until recently because I'm listening for Eddie's solo and Dave's vocals and and all the stuff that's on top, but if stripping it down to the actual song structure, it, the songs are pretty they, simple. They utilize the pop structure. Yeah. And we're a, he a heavy metal band that use, utilized the pop structure. And that was <clears throat> fairly novel. Um, that, you know, Dave and I, you know, the rest of them too, I imagine just adhered to that aesthetic. I, you know, if you look at what they were playing in the clubs, it, it wasn't a lot of heavy metal. It was yeah. a lot of like, Casey and the Sunshine Band, you know, that kind of stuff is what they were playing. Right, right, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they because uh, back in their cover days, they would they would be told they have to play these cover songs to get into the clubs. It's yeah, top forty they used to call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, back when there was such a thing. So I, when I was so I here's the story behind me hearing this album for the first time was um, uh, I asked for it for Christmas when I was twelve. And uh, my mom, you know, all of a sudden, you know, two weeks before Christmas, I look under the tree and there's a uh, package that looks suspiciously like a vinyl LP. <laughs> and uh, there's no, and I had a stereo in my bedroom, so there was no way I was waiting two weeks to hear <laughs> Van Halen 2 because I hadn't heard it yet and I was becoming a really big fan. Yeah. <laughs> so one evening I gently, but gently, <laughs> unpacked it in my room. Does your mom know this yet? Your mom has I, never figured this uh, out. I'll get to that. Okay. And um, and I had it in my room for two weeks before Christmas. Yeah, it was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> low vol, low volume. In case she might know what Van Halen two sounded like, as if. <laughs> 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 
Oh, oh yeah, I know that one. Spanish fly, yep. So, um, yeah, so I heard it for two weeks and then I repackaged it. <laughs> and I was really, really bad at it. And uh, when we opened the gifts, I was like, oh, I'm going to open this. And mom had seen uh, that, I, you know, the tape, the packing job had been butchered. <laughs> oh, come on, Jordan. <laughs> not pleased oh no i got the stink eye all christmas oh, there's nothing worse than a christmas stink eye oh my god that's terrible i think i might at the time i'm i you know i don't think i was disappointed i think i i thought it was about on a par once i once i got into it um i love beautiful girls i loved women in love <laughs> yeah um uh, you're no good. And then as I got old in my older teen years, then I really started to love the heavier songs DOA. Yeah. Out of love again is amazing. Um, my favorites, uh, my favorites were beautiful girls. Speed and light metal up, almost. I like light What's up the sky. Sorry. Yeah. That's actually, I think my adult favorite. Yeah. And that's the one at the time where Eddie was like, Check out where we're going with things like Let Up the Sky. He's, he's like, that's the progression of the band, is yeah. what he was saying. And see, for me at that time, I, I was basically shunning pop music when I heard this. I was, I had, um, I mean, I liked Hall and & Oates and, and uh, some of this stuff, but I listened to that on the sly. Nobody, none of my friends knew that. They, I was just, that was all in, in secret. But what I what I was listening to that everybody knew was stuff like Megadeth, Metallica, Testament. Okay. So you know, getting and Van Halen was acceptable in those crowds. So oh yeah. So when I that's why when I got this album, I was like, ah, you know, it's not. I thought it was going to be heavier, and it's it, not metal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so it's party rock. It's yeah, exactly. And it's grown on me over the years. It's still probably my least favorite of all the David Lee Roth albums. So where does it rank as far as you so far? <laughs> oh, um I'm not sure. I still I mean there's I I love a lot of it. I'm less into the last two songs, you know, Women in Love and Beautiful Girls I used to love and now I uh, they're good. But yeah, Light Up the Sky I love Bottoms Up. And it, it, I love again. DOA is my favorite. Well, in listening to the to it today, a couple things struck me is is that it sounds like um, I mean it's definitely a, just a a carryover from Van Halen one, and a lot of the you can tell the a lot of the lyrics either seem like they were rushed or they they didn't work on them. They just went into the studio with what they had, because if you <laughs> listen to them, um, there's a lot of like sexy cliches in there and you know it's 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 i almost feel dirty <laughs> like like i need to go to confession yeah, it's a looser it's a looser album and it's more revealing of their of their personality so yeah definitely definitely so i call uh, it sloppy joe and a coke because it's sloppy and it's also the album where um they really you know drugs entered the studio and so yeah they really got into coke or yeah, that's where it started. Or Krell, like as they called it. That, that was their code word for cocaine. Was Krell? Amazing. I don't know. Okay, women and children first. Like women and children first. All right. I like the way the line runs up the back of this stocking. 
like those kind of high heels too. You know? No, 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 no! Don't take them off. Don't take leave them off. What do we call on this chapter? I call it party. I call this one party on Wayne. To me, this solidifies their reputation as the like badass teenager party band. And, you know, there's that scene in um, Fast Times where the two kids come up and they're like, they're trying to buy a, a scalp. They're trying to buy tickets from the scalper kid. Yes. At two tickets to Van Halen. Yeah. Hey. Don't call it scalping. I provide a service. You know, that guy. <laughs> oh, what a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> Those I, tickets were twelve fifty. <laughs> oh, God, what I wouldn't do for $12.50 tickets now. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so, like, everyone wants some. It's just so tribal, that beat, and just, like, you know, it was written for their audience. And the cradle will rock, you know, it's about, like, the... The the good boy gone wrong. Yes, um, and that's that seems it's a more complex theme than anything off the first two albums. You've seen Junior's great. Yeah, that's a great. Um, starting to throw those little quips in there. I love that. Yeah, that's um, definitely Dave. It's loose like Van Halen too, but it's also like more anarchic. Like there's like like. Fools and Tora Tora, like it's like oh. there's like a punk edge or something, like a dirty kind of like real fuck you kind of edge in the riffs coming out. Yeah, loss of control. That song is just it exactly. just exactly it's it's off the rails completely. Yeah. But then there's like those last three songs, uh, "Take Your Whiskey Home," which is really curious because you hear acoustic guitar for the first time. And I found out that that was actually a song Michael Anthony had written from his prior band snake get out of town no he he'd actually had that riff way beforehand so that that song had actually been around so so possibly i guess maybe that's one they were working on um in interviews i've heard um well and the cradle will rock was written on a wurlitzer i think a wurlitzer really i didn't Rhodes. I'd yeah, heard that's that. the main riff. That's not a guitar. It's just played through a Marshall amp, so it's distorted. Oh, wow. So it would sound like a guitar. And apparently they, Alex and Eddie, would rehearse that every day for two weeks, and they couldn't think of a second part. <laughs> and then finally they came up with a second part, and then Dave added his stuff. Um, oh, and then they do Could This Be Magic, which I always thought was so charming. I love that song. Me too, and I was so surprised that it was an original song. I, I thought... Wow, that sounds like one of their wacky covers. Yeah, it does. It does. It sounds like some weird blues thing that they did. But mm. and then they they slide right into a simple rhyme. Now that was the song that really got me. Um, I, I it was always my favorite on the record. Um, yeah, it sort of um, almost has a uh, almost sort of a Zeppelin esque structure to it. You know, it has like these part. It's slightly progressive. Um, yeah. And it, it changes and, uh, tempo. It's just. Yeah, it's a, it's a real anomaly for them, I feel. Yeah, a, a definitely. And, and it works, I feel. Yeah, it's well. a definite leap in songwriting for them from what they, were, what they had released on the first two albums. Yeah. It's much more complex. Yeah. I, I get the feeling that all of the band members, everybody who was contributing to the songwriting was getting more and more confident in what they were doing. 
So it's because I know um, looking at the charts, uh, Van Halen two didn't do nearly as well as Van Halen one, and uh-huh. and so I think they got they were a little taken aback by it, and I think spent maybe a little more time in, in songwriting, at least Dave did, because um, uh-huh. I feel like I, if I feel like Eddie. And I feel like this is something that that goes through the progression of the band, and I'm sure we'll talk about it for the next three albums, that Eddie didn't want to be just a a guitarist. He didn't want to, he wanted to be a musician, a composer. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's just, he's really starting to feel that itch on this album. I agree. Yep. And so the music got heavier less less of a party feel for it and things got a little darker um not completely because you've got you know uh take your whiskey home yeah, and all. side one is a real is the party side and then side two is sort of the weirder side for yeah sure. ab- yeah definitely definitely and uh I, I can't really think of of a song i dislike on that this album it's just every song is 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 fantastic and I, I even the, the short stuff and i'm looking here on online right now i never noticed this it says there's a hidden a 19 second hidden track called growth after in a simple yeah that's that it's that weird um that's that weird just sort of uh grungy almost instrumental i always thought that part that's called growth was just a weird coda because the whole album is just so weird that mm. it just made sense that that would just be the ending of In a Simple Rhyme. But I did find an interesting little bit of trivia about Women and Children First. Tell me. Background vocals on Could This Be Magic? Nicolette Larson. Oh, right, yeah. I that did was not, not... I didn't know that. Uh, as far as I know, that wasn't credited. But I had the cassette, and there was no packaging that came with the Warner Brothers cassette. Right, just... There was no, yeah, I, so that, that poster, you know, that came with it with Dave. Yeah. With that huge poster. And, um, and, uh, you know, there was some sort of package or pictures or something that I didn't see until way later. Yeah. I, I just got the, the CD of it, the early mm. first version. And that was same as the cassette. You, you, you opened it up and it was just white on the other side of the cover artwork. Oh. So I, I didn't know anything about it. So yeah, if you like a lot of love. Hey, check out uh, Could This Be Magic? Same Amazing. same lady. who She has a fantastic voice. Yep. I love Nicolette Larson. Anyway, okay. So, moving on. It, well, this is also the first album with no covers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's, yeah, that's part of, like, Eddie's, you know, like, hey, let's be a serious band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think, I think that's part of where, where the, some of where the fracturing of the band started to take place because Dave likes like doing covers and weird standards and being. He was with the producer Ted Templeman. He wanted hits and covers. He yeah. liked it. And I, I, there's there's a definitely a touch of vaudeville in Diamond Dave. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So moving on. Our next chapter.
called The Willful Child. This is Eddie pushing his weight around. And basically, they kind of let him have his way. Um, you know, word is he was he, he wanted more overdubs. He didn't he, he wasn't necessarily uh, as into just having the records represent what the live band sounded like. He was okay with like, okay, let's let the record be a record, and we'll do some overdubs. Um, Ted didn't like this, so Eddie would come in after hours and work with Don Landy. And so this is where he and Don Landy, the uh, engineer who yeah. um, worked under Ted, this is where Ed and Ted, or sorry, and uh, Don, really start connecting and forging their own way of doing things. Okay. So all of the miking techniques and the reverb concepts of Eddie's sound and like how, how his tone sounds changes from album to album. The particular, you know, the peculiarities of those things have, are all being worked out by Don and Ed alone. Ah. That they're like, you know, Ted's a, Ted Templeman's a hit man. Yeah. You know? He's, we're artists. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know? Yep. And so Eddie has his caddy and they sculpt out the sonic terrain. So yeah, um, all kinds of fun, meaty guitar stuff happening on this. This is the record that Frank Zappa was like, oh, okay, I get it now. This kid's serious. Ah, okay. And uh, they did some weird stuff together um, and hung out. Oh, man. I didn't know that, that yeah. Eddie and Frank had done stuff together. I think Eddie produced a single by his daughter, perhaps, I, I want to say. Oh, Moon son, Unit? I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah, Eddie, um, Eddie did a lot of weird branching out starting around, around this time. He, he would, you know uncredited work too yeah dave didn't like it dave said eddie you're the you're you're cheapening our brand basically before people use the that awful word brand yeah um (laughs) um, but that's basically what he was saying it's like you know uh, to keep van halen special you don't go and play on other people's records and eddie is sort of being starting to be celebrated within the la musician community which started feeling really good to him, I think. Oh, yeah. And so he started doing sessions and bouncing around town and uh, chasing down Alan Holdsworth and stuff. And um, uh. So you can really hear Eddie, Eddie's ideas really starting to expand here. This is really Edward's album. Yeah, definitely. With things like Sunday Afternoon in the Park, you know, that's really experimental for Van Halen at the time. I mean, cause that just, I don't even know what it sounds like. It's just, it sounds like a, a blob. I, I can't really, <laughs> I can't really describe it. If, if you haven't heard it, it just, it sounds like if you get a, if you're, I've heard that Dave on the synth actually. Really? I've heard that. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds like if, when your kids make slime, and it just kind yeah. of you just do like, like that's why it makes sense that Dave came up with that. Riff, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. But it um, sounds I, like Unchained. You know the, that's that's a monstrous. It's towering riff. Yeah, it, it's you know it's detuned and it's distorted and it's just angry, chunky, and yeah. Disciplined somehow as well. It's like well, it's Eddie. Uh, he's you know he's 
he's technician. Even when he tries center to swing is where center swing is where he really gets wild. Like mm. he's like feel is really loopy and crazy on that. Oh yeah, it's very difficult to play that kind of stuff and sound like Eddie Van Halen. Like the rhythm parts on center swing, it's like what are you doing? Just his his attack comes in at such odd times. And, oh yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, Mean Streets, uh, Dirty Movies, they're all just... The whole album is... is their, I think it's their darkest album. Even the cover art, everything's brown and dirty. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everything sounds brown on the album. <laughs> and it, it's... I don't know what it was about that, that year. What, what did that come out? Like late... 81. 79 or 80 or something like that, or 78? Fair Warning's 81. It, it, okay, so what... What was about that time period where everything was this disgusting brown? Okay, well, yellow. drugs had set into the band pretty heavily. <laughs> so I think the first serious hangovers were starting to happen. And the serious discontent within the band, I think, is starting to happen at this time as well. Oh, absolutely. So I th- um, and so it's a pissed-off sounding album from Dave. It sounds pissed off from Eddie. And um, the other guys play great. Mike sounds like he's more disco somehow on this album. Yeah, yeah. Push comes to shove. He's, that's that's he's a, the flanger pedal going, and he's like kind of bouncing all over the place, having a really good time. And everyone else is playing really dark riffs. It's yeah, pretty, it's an interesting. <laughs> Which is totally, it's totally Michael Anthony. That's he's just. <laughs> and then push comes to shove. He's got that disco bass going. Boom, 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 boom. Well, dirty movies sounds like a disco song straight up to me. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And but if you listen to Push Comes to Shove, he he does. Oh the, yeah, that the, too. The yeah. typical bass riff, the yeah. disco bass riff, and then the guitar tone is that weird, clean disco tune uh, tone. It's just, it's not my. That's from playing favorite. funk covers in the in the club days. Oh yeah, there like. okay. So, the, so their party days and their covers come back in a different way. Then, yeah, it manifests um, of covers. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one of the things that happened is that when Eddie would play in the clubs, when they'd be doing songs by R and B bands, he would try to cover the harmonic territory of the horn section. Oh, wow. As well as being the guitar player. So he's like, and then doing the funk stuff up on the high notes. Yeah. And that you can kind of hear that, how it influenced how he writes riffs even, you know, where he has like this sort of like, he'll be doing different things on the high strings than he is on the low strings. Right. Yeah. So in effect, like the low strings are the horns and the high string is the guitar. Okay. (laughs) You know, like, so... You yeah, you're starting to hear a lot of that too. Mean Street, I mean, the guitars on that are just beautifully orchestrated, um, and the solo, one of his greatest. Just the way it comes in with that dive bomb is just like that split second. Yeah, gives me chills every time. Oh Let's man, it, it's it's. I love this album. It's so to me, it's underrated. Yeah. I mean, it's got. If you look at well, the, not amongst fans, it's no, highly rated amongst that's fans. That's true, but yeah, to the to the population in general, like even the the crowd at a Van Halen show, a lot of the people might not know one foot out the door. You know, no. The, the only thing that's that's really well known is Unchained. 
Right. And yeah, Mean Street. Um, so this is love was a was a single. Yeah, we saw we saw that on Much Music a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, because they didn't really have a lot of Van Halen videos. They were just they had overplayed everything on 1984. So they were like, what else can we play? So there's like 15 minutes of footage shot from an Oakland concert from '81 from this tour. So it was. Uh, so this is love and Unchained. I saw that. The, so this is love today. I went on YouTube and I'm at, yeah. I'm at my job and it's I'm just great. I'm just listening to to Van Halen all day long, just picking a playlist Van Halen and picking the full album. And so when it gets down to so th- so this is love on this album, it's the live clip. For some reason, they don't. The, I guess the uh, the studio clip got deleted yeah. or something. I don't. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know why. It's a it's a good version. It's a great version. Yeah, they're it, great on this tour. I I really wish I would have been old enough to see them at this time because oh me too i was eight so uh, that wasn't gonna happen but, yeah i was the, yeah i think we're the same age so I yeah so. I was like, oh, man so yeah I, but i wasn't I, I didn't know about them but so this is love really kind of stands out as like a pop song that almost you could have imagined on the first album perhaps but mm-hmm. there's like a new like there's like eddie's like getting more nimble you know and he's like finger picking those chords in the verses and it's getting more harmonically complex, and he's like at once more jazzy, but also I hear like little Pete Townsend things coming in with the suspended chords, and like mm. he's just his playing is getting really colorful, and the palette, the sonic palette that they used, you know, and bringing in the flanger pedal a lot on this record, and working closely with Landy after hours after you know they sent <laughs> yeah. Ted and Dave out of the room. You know, it's really starting to pay off, and um, I guess it it um, it didn't sell all that well. I don't think um, so. Yeah, the, I don't think they released a single. Damn. Yeah. It's, so, well, and there's no covers on this one. Again, another album with no covers. Yeah. But, so the reason why I call it the Willful Child is like Eddie takes over. Yeah. You know, and it's his vision, and he shoves it down their throat, kicking and screaming. Dave and Ted. Yeah. But and um, I I think uh, it's a beautiful album whose reputation is you know stellar. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think even Dave's lyrics were much were still growing. I think he was he, he was doing. Oh, yeah. a, I mean, his his he was telling stories now instead of uh-huh. instead of just you know committing sexual yeah, assault in music form. Sort of bragging, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my cat is. Really lonely. I've been away for a couple of days. Oh, you okay, babe? Go ahead. She she likes to sit on the studio amplifier where it's really warm. Oh, there you. What's her favorite Van Halen song? Ever? What was your cat's favorite album? song? Oh, Penelope. <laughs> um, she likes to hear about it later. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> which I love as well. That is, yeah. That's a really, really, really great track. Yeah, it, that's this whole album to me. It's it's one of the albums that I picked up later, and I regret not getting it earlier because it's just it's it's for not having like you said singles and not having a whole lot of well known songs on it. Because if you look at their greatest hits albums, the only thing on there is like, I think Unchained and Mean Unchained. Street. Maybe means maybe Mean Street. Maybe. Oh, okay. I don't even know if it's on the good. I think un- I, I know. Think un- it is. I think I know. Unchained is, and that may be the only one so, representing right. this album. So, yeah, it's a shame. So the next album. 
Diver down. Right. This, um, I've, I've called the, the Ted and Dave show. Oh, that, and that's the most accurate title there could be. They wrestle control of the proceedings from Eddie, and he is now back to being just the guitar player. <laughs> and there are five fucking covers on this album. <laughs> Count them. Oh, man. And I'll pull up the track list here, and I'll, we'll get to them. But this... Like I said, the first Van Halen album I got was 1984. The very first Van Halen song I ever heard was their cover of Oh Pretty Woman. Okay. Yeah, and, that was a single, and I think it did okay. Yeah, I, I remember we went out looking for um, my mom, my brother and I, and, and, and my little sister. We went all out. She went to a record store. She was getting something, like, and, and she, we asked if we could get a, a, a record, and there's something about Van Halen. This happens with me and Van Halen, apparently. We wanted to get Steve Miller's Abracadabra. Cool. And we couldn't, I don't know if we couldn't find it, but I found this, this K-Tel album. So, you know, I'm like nine or 10 at this point. So we have, I find this K-Tel album and I pick it up and it's got a train on it. So I'm like, this is cool. Let me look at this. And I see Abacab by Genesis. So I go to my mom and say this, is that the same song that we're, we're looking for? And she's like, I don't know. And she just picks up and she buys it. And so it was Hit Express by KTEL Records, and it had Pretty Woman by Van Halen on it. Right. It was awesome. It had a whole bunch of cool stuff on it. I mean, it had Abacab oh, by Genesis. It had, uh, had Huey Lewis in the News on it, Rod Stewart, uh, Foreigner, Van Halen, Hall & Oates, Joan Jett. It was a hell of an album. But that was my first, my actual first introduction to anything Van Halen was Pretty Woman. Cool. So that song is always going to be one of my favorites. I love it. To me, it's the version. I like it better than Roy's. Sorry. I didn't want to say that, but I agree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's coming from a heavy metal kid, though. So now, Dancing in the Street, uh, that song, Eddie, that's it. Uh, does the chords are not the same? The introductory chords that you know that whole part. That starts the song. Eddie started that song as an original. Okay. And Ted and Dave. Ted and Dave heard down, down, down. That whole part. Yeah. And they went, no, let's let's turn this into a cover of Dancing in the Street. And Eddie's like, come on, yeah. really? <laughs> You're taking my song away and turning it into a cover, which uh, I'll get no publishing on. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened, and he didn't want to do it, but they did it. Um. Uh, where have all the good times gone? Probably a Ted idea. Maybe a Dave s- idea. Yeah. yeah. Or a record company idea. Let's do another Kinks cover. That worked so well. Yeah. Well, well, they did get their hit in Oh Pretty Woman. So, yes. Um, now, once I had, as a teenager, digested all six of these albums of the original Roth era Van Halen albums, this was my favorite. Oddly enough. <laughs> 
I love this album. I got to tell you, when, when Van Halen's remasters came out the first time, yep. and I feel like Van Halen is becoming like Iron Maiden, where every like three or four years, they just remaster their albums again, so everybody has to go buy them. So, so I love Iron Maiden, but screw you, Iron Maiden. So, yep. so uh, the first two that I got on my limited budget was 1984 and Diver Down. Me too. I had to get those two. Yep. <laughs> And just for Oh Pretty Woman, and I didn't even care. I, and I love the rest of the album. I love Intruder is an unbelievable intro to Pretty Woman. I and mean, it's just, oh yeah, I can't, it, it's just insane. I mean, they've just completely changed that song. Um, well, this album has my favorite all-time Van Halen song. Guess which one it is. Uh, your all-time favorite. I'm going to say The Full Bug. Wrong. Oh. Damn it! What is it? Because if I secrets, secrets. Oh, yeah, I adore that song. Really, that's that's a good poppy number off the album. Ah, it's wistful and beautiful. I don't know. It's to me, it's a really deep little pop song. It's it's Just, um, yeah. It's it's one I did it's, 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 charts. It's the cor- it's the chords. The sort of like. He's he's doing this quick but complex kind of stuff that just sort of floats by really quickly. And I love – this is my favorite Eddie Van Halen guitar sound on this album. Is it's that like, the – that's what he does this weird like little harmonic intro? Um, oh, that's the cathedral. Okay. Intro, so isn't it? Oh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just – and it's, it's, it goes into – yeah, okay. With the volume swells? Yes. Uh, yep. That's yeah. That's that's cathedral. It, it's so neat. Little guitars could give secrets a run for its money for me too. Like oh yeah, what a unusual and fun. Just like the I don't know. That one always got me too because he's doing this suspended stuff. Like, but it's so fast and he makes it sound so natural and and easy to sing over for Dave somehow. But what he's doing is actually for me like really deep and complex and um I love that one too. What are your thoughts on Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now and Happy Trails? Didn't they do an oboe? Well, perfectly <laughs> perfectly appropriate <laughs> for this given, album. <clears throat> yeah. And uh they got to bring in uh, the Van Halen brothers got to bring in their dad to play clarinet. Clarinet, that's what it is. It's clarinet. Yeah. And um, I think it was like a fun session. I think Dave and the old man were actually close. Ah, Dave okay. Dave really liked him and thought he was a cool guy, you know? Yeah. See, um, my understanding is that this is, well, because they were pushing Eddie down, this, this is a fun-sounding album. It sounds... This, it sounds like they had a blast doing this album, but my understanding is that it was the exact opposite. It was just so <laughs> tense and and filled with anger, which is so weird to end up as because the album ends with happy trails, and the last thing is all you hear a bunch of guys cracking up in the background. Yeah, and it's yeah. just belies all it's the a great tr- illusion. It is, <laughs> and apparently, I guess that's what Van Halen was all about. At that time, anyway, because you saw them on uh-huh. stage and they they had a 
great stage presence and they're having a blast. Lean, Eddie's yeah. leaning on Dave playing the guitar and they're just... You can't imagine they're fighting and screaming at each other Exactly. Like, <laughs> they, it doesn't they, make sense. It's insane. I mean, there's... <laughs> I, I, it kind of blows my mind that, that you could put on a show and be that good of an actor. I mean, right. it's, yeah. Because you look at the videos from that time, that, that not just the live videos, but the actual videos that they were making. Um, what was that one that they made with the midget? Uh, what Pretty was, Woman, I think. Was it Pretty Woman that they, that they made the video for? I can't remember. I just remember it was like so. they were running around in the dark with a lot of fog and a, and a midget. Like and Dave, for some reason, David Lee Roth is just like Napoleon or something. It, yes, that's know. that's Pretty Woman. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but they use the Intruder intro for the whole video that's, as well. That's right. That's right. Super odd. It is odd creative decision. <laughs> a lot of stuff is odd about Van Halen in this time. <laughs> oh man. So I don't know if there's much else to say about this album. It's it's fun. No, that's good. Yeah. I love it. And uh, it still still listen to it. Yeah. And then they took a. a quite an extensive break and they moved on to our next chapter. Yeah. They spent all of 1983 making 1984 and the album was released December 31st. 10. I've chaptered it, uh, Eddie's Revenge. Very he good. takes complete control of the proceedings by building his own studio <laughs> in his own backyard. <laughs> Brilliant move. Fuck all y'all. Doing it my way, and you ain't, yeah. or you ain't getting my tapes. And um, Jump, which he had been trying to get the band to record for years, Yes, um, I did hear that. He finally just plugged into that Oberheim and Don Landy put it through the... What did they have? I think they had an API board brought into Eddie's place. He said he got it. He goes, it's a piece of junk. I got it for $2,000. That's what he said <laughs> in an interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me because... Yeah. Look at his first guitars. They're all Frankensteins that he, he pieced together. He loves pieces of junk, he you does. know, and putting them together. That's the way his brain works. And he makes them sound beautiful. Oh. I wish I could do something like that with anything. So oh. he builds the studio, and then politically within the band, it's like he was trying to edge Ted out because Ted sided with Dave and vice versa always. And both of them were resistant to jump, um, Eddie was like he knew it was a hit, and um, but he needed Dave to work on it and write a great part for it. Um, so I think it was when I think it was when he switched over to the Oberheim and, and kind of got Alex. I, oh, I think they started the track already. Okay, and they showed it to those two guys, and then Ted went, "Oh, okay, I see what you mean now." Yeah, and Dave just sort of was like, "Well, if Ted's in, then I gotta be in." Yeah, <laughs> that's how they started doing jump. Um, and I'll wait is the other um, keyboard song. And of course, this album, you know, 
put them into the stratosphere oh, yeah. of, of popularity, but it is it is my favorite one. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Mine absolutely by quite a bit. And and actually, Jump is probably my least favorite song on the entire album. And it's still amazing. Yeah, but, hey, but I've yes, got, I've got a question for you because I honestly don't know the answer to this. What was with the extra whoa in the whoa. video? Did we already talk about this? Because I thought I was the only person in the world that knows or that, is, that asks this question, and I don't know, other than it. it had to have been a single mix. But a I've single never mix seen that. Only made for a video, a, a separate mix made for video because I had and have the seven-inch single, and it's not on that, which is the single edit for Jump. And that, but that's the only difference is that extra whoa. <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> what? 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 I want to know. So All right, we got to get. We need to ask someone. We're gonna have to get uh, David Lee Roth or Ted Templeman on here. I don't know. Is Ted still alive? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. One of those people. I'm pretty sure. sure David Lee Roth is still alive. So maybe we can get him on. Yes. We can ask him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but man, uh, Eddie was right at this time of his life. Like he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah. This album is a juggernaut of like creativity of really great top vibes too. Just like this album came out in the summer of 84, which I consider to be like the greatest year of all time oh. for, as far as pop music goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got this album on cassette. I was 11. I was cruising around with my mom in this Rivi diesel Riviera with a sunroof. It's all <laughs> white. And it had a kick-ass sound system, cassette sound system in the car. Nice. And I, she let me crank it up driving downtown to get on the boat. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then, like, super hi-fi car stereo. Oh, yeah. Oh, sounded amazing. Um, Pioneers and Ken Woods. Yeah. Even then, though, like the deeper tracks like Drop Dead Legs was my favorite. That is my immediately dead ass. That is my favorite song. It it could be mine, too. I'm all over the place with my favorite. (laughs) Never trust me when I say it's my favorite. My kids bust me on it all the time. Really? So this is like your 200th favorite song. (laughs) It's it's hard to pick, though. I mean, it's definitely my my. I think my favorite song off this album, probably out of their entire catalog, but Girl Gone Bad, House of Pain, yeah, they're all incredible. They're so heavy. Um, there's a great book that is on my shelf over there. Um, what the heck is it called? It's kind of like the first highbrow book written about Van Halen. Oh, okay. So it's called Van Halen... Exuberant California Zen Rock and Roll by John Scanlon. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's a great title. It's an incredible book. Really? Oh, I'll have to check it out. Incredible. It's a smarty pants book about Van Halen. And um, he, um, he makes a link between what Van Halen is up to, Eddie Van Halen particularly, and what Charlie Parker was up to. Harmonically. <laughs> really? And yeah, and he uses Girl Gone Bad as sort of like the, ex, uh, you know, the prime example. And, um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about jazz, but I threw on some stuff and I was like, oh, I see what he's talking about. I don't have to. 
I don't know. Like, listen to how weird those intro chords are. Feel that? Yeah. All little chords that he's like harmonic. Like, I think he's playing harmonics on the guitar on that. Yeah. Um, but it's chordally and harmonically, it's really odd and unusual. And Dave just slides so perfectly over top of it um, on House of Pain and Girl Gone Bad. I mean, Girl Gone Bad must have been inc- like, I cannot imagine writing vocals over that. It's oh, no. Just, you know, they, they would have had the instrumental track done and then they would have, Penelope, they would have given it to him. And he somehow knows what to do with Eddie's music. It's really amazing. Yeah, and, and you know, at that point, you would think that this album had a little bit of everything for these guys. You know, you had uh, the poppier stuff for Dave. You had the heavier stuff and the more complex stuff for Eddie. And it ended up tearing the entire band apart instead of bringing them together. And, well, and it, it's odd that Dave didn't want to sing the hit. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm it? saying. Yeah, that exactly. was Eddie's. <laughs> it was so weird um, because it, it that's the thing that you, you would figure would bring them together. And between that and, and doing these those amazing videos that they did. Yeah. They, yeah. Hot for I think it was Dave, Dave and Pete Angelus, those those two guys like did mm-hmm. the videos together mostly. Um oh, they're outrageous and they really captured like <sighs> You know, we were 11, and so this was like the first, you know, they hadn't really done, the Pretty Woman video didn't get a lot of play, and I think it was and probably it good cheap. that it didn't get a lot of play. Yeah, it looked <laughs> really cheap. And by 1982, people were starting to, the budgets were getting bigger. By 83, video was everywhere, and 84, it was king. So Dave knew this. Eddie didn't give a toss. He's just like, okay, do what you got to do. Um, and uh, I think they did... Jump for a couple thousand bucks, like three grand or something, real cheap. And Dave and Pete um, edited it. And then I think they got a bit of a budget for Panama because they did that shot at that hotel where, like, Eddie's getting let out of a hotel room. Yeah. Or whatever. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Dave in the the towel. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And Eddie's blowing smoke rings with the piano in the hotel room. Yes. Yes. Love that shot. And then there's then they did it hot for teacher. Would sit down, Waldo. I mean that one was that was phenomenal. It was interesting because the song is basically like, you know, a sped up psychotic <laughs> ZZ Top, you know, boogie. Yeah, a real ZZ Top boogie, but sped way way up. Yeah, and um, it just has you know the solo is unbelievable. It's so beautiful. Well, and and that's there's there's no overdubs on that. That's just one guitar bass and drums really? on that song, which oh. is amazing. Yeah. And and at 11 years old, I hear the intro, and I'm thinking that Alex Van Halen is the best drummer ever. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. insane. Which, you know, that's there's a whole debate about how good of a drummer he is, but that that intro is just crazy. Yeah. Especially that's when you're. Amazing. Yeah, especially when you're preteen or, or or a teenager, it's just you can't imagine. No, it's how anyone could possibly do that. Yeah, exactly. So it's <laughs> the, the, that album was just so powerful, and and maybe it's just because it hit you and I at at such a pivotal time in our lives. But I think it's just because it's a freaking good album. 
It's it's a beautifully balanced album, and it presented a mood that was like super attractive at that time. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and jump as much as it's like the big hit that everyone may have grown a bit tired of. It's um, when I hear it, I still love it. And I, I, what I hear is like I hear melancholy in that chorus or in that pre-chorus, especially. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, there's like it's not like this totally happy song no it's it's a little bit fatalistic you know and a little bit like oh shit can't you well, see me standing okay. here i got my back against the record machine i ain't the best that you've seen you know like yeah. he's rating himself <laughs> yeah ex- mediocre or medium <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah exactly and it's i don't know it's i can listen to that album now and it instantly i'm 11 years old again uh, Top Jimmy is such a fun romp. Yep, it is. It's, Dave does un- tells a great tale about um, a guy he used to see play uh, in the clubs around L.A. Okay, and sort of like um, took some creative license and made the story a little bit more fun. Hey, like good songwriters um, do. Yep, and uh, Eddie does some stuff that we've never heard before again. Mm-hmm. Sort of like height, this sort of sped up Chet Atkins thing or something, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. You know, I didn't think about that. That is, it's like some weird chicken picking or something. I don't know what yeah. what it is that he's doing. It's, yeah, it's it's just really cool. And that whole album, especially at that time in my life, it, it was filled with stuff I'd never heard before. Yeah, and the but the drums on truck. It's like I remember hearing this song so much at uh, fairgrounds. Okay. Summer, you know. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, you'd go around to each ride, and each ride would have like, you know, a really tough-looking teenage kid with their own sound system. <laughs> yeah, some teenage carny with tattoos so you already. Hear all these like metal songs playing from everywhere, and they're always like playing metal. And uh, that summer, you know, I remember hearing a lot of side two of 1984. I remember hearing Panama everywhere I went. Yeah. And yeah, like, you know, some reason teenagers are running carny rides and they've already got tattoos and they're smoking. And I'm like, yeah, to me, Panama might be the only one that actually sounds like what you'd expect Van Halen to sound like on the album. Yeah, I can see the only song that maybe you could have imagined on women and children first kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. And, and, then, but no other song could you imagine on any other album. Like I, I feel like it's a real progression. Yeah, it is a it's art. It's definitely yeah. a quantum leap in, in songwriting for all of yeah, them. Yeah, all of them. And uh, again, no covers. No covers. No, this is Eddie. Eddie took over. He's like yeah. this. That's that's enough. That you know, the tide just it, it swung there for a few albums where, you know, Eddie had accumulated enough sort of credit or power to, to, to pull off fair warning. It failed financially according to, you know, the dictates of the business at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then so did, so the producer takes over the next album and they have a hit with pretty woman and Eddie's like, I see where this is going now. So he's that's by building the studio. He knew that he, just physically had control of whatever he was working on. Like yeah. he had the tapes. Yeah, exactly. And he had the, and you're not coming through the gates unless 
and he asks you to come. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the king of the castle at that point. Yep. So then they, they end up parting ways after Dave decides to do an EP of more cover songs and weirdness. Crazy from the heat. And then they, so that, so they split up for a while and I don't want to, I don't really want to go into, and we hadn't planned on going into any of the Van Hagar stuff. So no interest. Same. All right. So then, <laughs> so then they did, they decided to come out with his greatest hits album and they record two songs with, with, oh, with Dave. Me wise magic. And you can't get that stuff. Anymore. Sound like a new '90s Van Halen. They do. They, they definitely sound like a like like the next step forward in what Van Halen could have been. And exactly, I love Me Wise Magic. You can't get that stuff no more. I'm not so crazy about, but I love Me Wise Magic. Yeah, Me Wise Magic was. It, it's really odd. Yeah, piece of music. And yeah. it's like at that time where Eddie is writing some really obtuse material, but again, Dave saves it. And by the times you know. You know, but in the '90s, like Sammy just didn't know what the what to do with Eddie's music. He was just getting so, uh, you know, not just kind of twisted up, and it was hard for a straight-ahead rocker to come up with vocals that worked over a lot of that stuff. And, yeah, um, Gary Sharon, you know, twisted himself into pretzels trying to come up with melodies on that <laughs> shit, and it just didn't work. You know, like yeah, it's, but Dave could do it. Dave, he's the only one. I mean, Gary. If they took one the album. music, if they took all the music for Van Halen three, this is a good idea. Take take Gary Sharon's vocals off of Van Halen three and have Eddie write new melodies to, or sorry, have Dave write new melodies to. Oh all man, of those songs <laughs> that would be that would be. You know, it's funny because I can't. I don't even remember any of the songs off of three. I, I can't picture one in my head either. I, I just I remember the cover, that big fat guy getting blown away by a cannonball. Such a terrible album cover. <laughs> it really is. I think it was Alex's idea. It's oh, that's awful. Uh, he was a full blown alcoholic at that time, anyway. So that makes sense. And then, then they take a hiatus from everything for years and years, and come back. What about five years ago with a different kind of truth? Seems to be a ton of old demos re-recorded. Well, they always kind of worked like that. Um, this is just a continuation of, um, you know, like Van Halen Two was just Van Halen One leftovers. Mm -hmm. So there was lots of stuff in the can. Um, but by the time Roth left the band, Eddie was not interested in going back to that stuff. He was writing, he was excitedly writing vo music for a new vocalist. So he was like, no, let's let's come up with a new brand of Van Halen, right? Yeah. Yeah. music so for dave's stuff you know i guess eddie only had a couple new ideas around um 
As Is is new. That's a great song. Uh, China, Chinatown is new. Yeah, so I know Bullethead is old because I remember seeing bootlegs. Yeah, of most of them are old. Demos. She's the woman. Bullethead. Those are old songs, but Dave reworked vocals on them, and I think Dave did an outstanding job. Yeah, of, uh, his lyrics are at I think a peak on this record. Actually, now what pisses me off is basically the whole Michael Anthony problem. You know, after right. after they recorded 1984. They may they, I don't and I don't know exactly how you can do this except for the fact that you know maybe Michael Anthony isn't the strongest personality in the group. They forced Michael Anthony to sign a contract, basically making him a studio player in the band. He didn't get any of the credits. Yeah. He got no points for the album. He got nothing. So Eddie had been trying to edge him out since Diver Down. Apparently, that's that's such a yeah. shame. I mean, he's. A, good bassist he's not an incredible bassist but his i rate him very highly like listen to the jazzy stuff he, he does on girl gone bad and stuff it's really really great his I miss him. his vocals yeah with, with he's i mean his vocals van halen wouldn't have had the harmonies without him it would have been flat as yeah. well no not, running not with flat, the devil <laughs> exactly exactly and so when they decided to do all these new stuff they they didn't even bother inviting they did they pulled an old led zeppelin john paul jones and just invited uh eddie's son to play bass yeah who did a great job but he has a different style completely yeah um and uh i think I, actually i really like his playing on the record i have no problem with it i prefer mikey's touch but uh, it's not a major complaint for me. It's a very minor complaint for me. I think they sound fine without him as well. I think they do, um, but I I just don't like. I don't know if if it's it's hard just because it's it's hard. Like it's like saying, you know, Led Zeppelin reunited, but without John Paul Jones. That, they did. <laughs> it was called but, Page and Plant. <laughs> but they called it Page and Plant. Yeah, they didn't call it Van Halen. Yeah. Or Van, well, they probably wouldn't have called it Van Halen either. But they didn't call it Led Zeppelin. They called it unleaded. But you know, it's it's to me it runs in that same vein. It's you know, I would I would be it would be one thing if I don't know he was a drug addict or something, but and, and couldn't do it, you know, play the part anymore. But he's completely capable, and and from all from all accounts, one of the, like, the sweetest people on the planet. Anyway, it's a great album. Tattoo <laughs> sucks. It is. It does. That's the worst song on the album. I thought they were tanked. I was like, this is going to suck. I was so disappointed. And then I got the album the day it came out. And I skipped Tattoo. And I started She's the Woman. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is, this is them. Uh, I, d- I did something Blood different. Blood and Fire to me. Sorry. Go oh. ahead. I did. I did. I heard tattoo and I was like, I'm not getting it. And I didn't get it me for too. like years. I was so scared. Yeah. I didn't get it until like two years ago. No one was more excited about this album than me. <laughs> no one was more let down than tattoo. I sound like Trump right now. Yeah. Um, I love blood and fire. Um, that song to me is almost like could have been on diver down. Yeah. You know? I, yeah, I could definitely. That's see the that. vibe. Bouncy. Kind of like slightly wistful. Um, I love Bullethead, man. That's like the return of like the punky, yes. fair warning. He like, whoa. 
That fast. I, Dave's I that. lyrics are genius on that track. I love Chinatown. Um, Honey Baby Sweetie Doll is is really cool. I like. I, basically, it's it's yep. really hard for me to pick one I don't like, and it's except for Tattoo. Out of space sounds like Van Halen one. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, and apparently, I'm looking at I'm looking at the checklist. They had a uh, a deluxe edition DVD where they did versions of Panama, You and Your Blues, and Beautiful Girls. Acoustic. It's really bad. Is it? I I haven't heard it. It's bad. Oh man. Eddie can't play acoustic, man. He's like, it's a whole different, it's a different instrument. Yeah. It just sounds weird. Re- oh man. That's the, that's the thing we're talking about. I just, oh no, maybe it's, oh, it is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a the bonus deluxe edition DVD. I'll have to look it up just so I can hear how bad it is. It's kind of one of those, it's like a traffic it's accident. It's not terrible. It's obviously not terrible, but it's like, it's just, uh, it's not as exciting. all right well i think we've hit all seven of the roth boom roth albums so if you had to pick one uh, or we know 84 is is both of our favorites what can you imagine if they had been able to hold it together what they could have done between 84 and a different kind of truth um well, it's hard to say what the next album would have sounded like, but, um, you know, Me Wise Magic gives you a, a pretty good idea of, like, how it would have gotten weirder, but still still good, still interesting. It, and like, I don't think there'd be a, an Is This Love or Love Comes Walking In or any other song with the word love in it. No. <laughs> David Lee Roth isn't big no. on love. <laughs> no, no, no. We wouldn't have those those kind of songs for sure. <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, is there anything else we want to add to this? Not really. I think, I think we I've said my piece. I think we've summarized it pretty well. And sure. and uh, you know, if if Anybody listening hasn't heard these albums, you definitely got to go out and, and, and listen to them. It, it'll, it'll change your life. To use that old cliche. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, have you done any Van Halen covers? Uh, no, but I remember when we were recording the second Blink of the Star album, Ken and I, I would get on the drums and he would play DOA and we would jam that. Oh, man. Break sometimes, which is fun. That, oh, Dude, I'd love to hear that. Oh, that and also, cool. oh no, one night um, there was like a radio contest when we were touring on August Everywhere, and there was a they had this contest in D.C. where the the winner of the contest hosted us playing at your house, and you have a house party. Oh wow! So we ended up in the suburbs playing at this like house party, like these like oh middle aged party animals, <laughs> and we had we played all night. They were just like play more, play more. So we we're like. Making just trying to do if two people in the band knew a song, we would do that cover. Oh my and god, and we actually tried to do jump, it was hilarious. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thank god it doesn't exist. Oh, damn, <laughs> oh man, I'd love to hear that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> all right, man. Well, we'll be doing cool. we'll be definitely doing more of these. We've got a whole lot of other topics to talk about. Uh, Jordan and I have made a list, 
And uh, we'll be getting together every once in a while and, and doing these based on uh, your schedule, Jordan, because I know mine's pretty... I, I kind of know when I'm going to be open. Cool. All right. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, this has been a blast to do. And uh, we'll, we'll do another one here before too long. Michelle. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.